The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rand. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, Big Red Cheese seeks Man of Steel for friendship and mentoring. That galaxy long, long ago gets farther and farther away, while Red Monica returns after 22 years to challenge Miracle Man for the crown of longest delay. We also review a bunch of comics, talk the talk, walk the walk, and do that thing we do. So you tell them the pros from Dover are here. We're going to crack this trade paperback, get out to the golf course before it gets dark, call the kitchen, tell us to rustle up some dinner, steak could be best. Give me just one second, and we'll get this major spoilers podcast on the air. Welcome to issue 1017 of the major. Oh, I'm sorry. 1018 of the major spoilers <gasps> podcast. Wow. It got a promotion. It did right there in the middle of the show. Uh, welcome everyone. And welcome Rand once more to the show for people that don't know. People are like, who's Rand? I, I don't know who Rand is. Who is Rand? <laughs> oh, you're asking me. Yes. Who um, am us? Yeah, anyway, Rand is uh, fully Rand Bellavia and, uh, you know, I uh, am part of the uh, nerd rock band Ookla the Mock. We have been writing songs about nerdy topics like superheroes and Star Trek since the early 90s. We've been playing at cons, comic book conventions, and science fiction conventions all over the world. And uh, we were there bef- way before it was cool, let me assure you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, if you listen to the original uh, episodes before uh, some dummy with a thinks that they own copyright to all of Rand's work, uh, tried to take us down. Uh, the uh, Stop Talking About Comic Books was our original uh, outro song. So That's right. Yeah. So that's how we know Rand, and that is how you know us. And now Wait, it's time you to Ukla do some are news. Are you the mock? Yes. Are you, what's astonishing is not the answer to that question, but how frequently I am asked mm. it. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to be in service. Do you, do you tell them you're the blowfish? You know, normally my response is normally that, that I'm the definitive article. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> major spoilers, we have a love-hate relationship with Tintin, but regardless, we've wondered if we were ever going to get a new animated movie. The answer is no, but Tintin Imaginatio <laughs> and Microids did release a trailer for the upcoming Cigars of the Pharaoh video game series. While the animation doesn't quite look like the Steven Spielberg movie, it still looks pretty good. As far as gameplay goes, we'll have to wait until later this year when the Cigars of the Pharaoh arrives on most gaming platforms, which I think most includes Steam, Xbox, PS5, and Switch. So if there's another gaming platform out there, uh, that is probably what it's not on. Do you guys watch the trailer for this? It's it's kind of interesting. I haven't seen it. No. I'm I'm yeah, afraid. I'm I'm a little bit afraid of what it's going to turn out to be. But uh, I'm I'm somewhat maybe maybe we should all get this see if we can get a review copy and this mm-hmm. year oh and we already did Tintin uh, next year for our Tintin story even though we've reviewed Cigars of the Pharaohs already maybe we review the video game instead was that the really really racist one or just no that's uh, Tintin goes to Africa Tintin which technically is in Egypt but you know Oof. yeah 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 so that's a thing yeah so the uh, the ever-expanding Star Wars franchise hit a bit of a snag recently and may not be expanding as fast as we thought. A series of announced Star Wars films have now been shelved 
Uh, we knew that the Patty Jenkins-helmed Rogue Squadron had been canceled. Now it looks like Kevin Feige's Star Wars film feature is not going forward. And it looks like Taika Waititi's Star Wars projects is still possibly in the works. But there's no official announcement of that from Lucasfilm to tell us when, where, why, or who. So, uh, yeah, the the idea of a Star Wars film every 20 minutes apparently not going to happen. Yeah, I'm really not surprised about that. Um, I just, like, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe really was kind of its own thing. And to try to do that again, just mm-hmm. try, try it again. It's like not gonna work um, yeah. to like announce that slate of movies to like try to get everybody lined up for that. It's like too much time, and it's just kind of not gonna work. And like in the meantime, mostly you just have like people getting mad at each other, um, mm-hmm. and like things getting canceled and things getting dropped, and finding out that somebody is actually a white supremacist. So you got to like scrape that whole thing off. It's uh, it's very difficult to plan something out like that now. You know, back in two thousand eight. You know, they kind of started it up and it was working, but nowadays it just seems because studios kind of keep doing this and it just never works the way that it worked for Marvel once. Yeah. But the thing that I find interesting is that back when the original series of films was coming out, if you tried to do a Star Wars television show, it kind of sucked. You had, uh, you know, you had the Christmas special. You had that one where the little kids crashed on Ewok planet. And so it was a cuddly, teddy bear, yeah, teddy bear adventure kind of thing. And now it's kind of reversed, right? Like the TV show is the stuff that is super, super popular and or Mandalorian, maybe not so much Book of Boba Fett, um, which is quite the opposite of the way the films are doing, which still make a lot of money. But people kind of poo poo the films in favor of the TV shows. So I wonder if that is part of it, although I would like to see. I would like to never going to happen, but I would like to see the numbers to see just how much money they're crediting Mandalorian and Andor and Boba Fett uh, as as making money for Disney Plus. You know, how much did it cost versus how much did are they calculating it brought in versus the films? Uh, And that may be a little bit of an indicator as well, because maybe they're looking at maybe it's cheaper to go television wise and bring in those Disney Plus numbers. And that is why we're seeing some of the, uh, the the main story stuff not not happening. Boba Fett was fine, by the way. It was actually pretty good. I mean, yes, for the for the uh, uh, season two point five of the Mandalorian, yeah, it was great. So anyway, um, the one thing that I would say is that Rodrigo is absolutely right because the problem that we see with this and Universal's dark universe and all of these other attempts to consciously say this was Marvel didn't say we're going to build a shared universe. Marvel said we're going to make some movies and we're going to put in a framework that we can maybe knit it all together later. And if it sticks and if it's good and if we connect with people, then we can go, hey, this next thing kind of rolls out of that. And as it became more and more successful, they built on that. But the basis of it was Iron Man, solid movie. Thor, pretty solid movie. You know, they kept going through to the point where even when you got like a Thor 2 that didn't necessarily have the same heft, by the time they were framing it all together and kind of, you know, turning it into a giant stick man to crush the the enemy, the point was 
hey, we're just going to make some good movies. And then the good movies came together and they held the bad movies up kind of like my body yeah. in the morning, you know, the parts that work still work. My left knee is shot, but that's okay. Nobody liked my left knee anyway, even though it had Christopher Eccleston as the villain. So I, I feel like it took, it took chutzpah to say, we're going to make a Star Wars movie every year from now until infinity. Mm-hmm. And it was the kind of chutzpah that was immediately, we knew it was going to get nuked, but it was immediately nuked by uh, young Han Solo adventures. And it's, it's slowly just been melting and melting and melting to the point where I feel like we might actually be in a world where we're getting Star Trek or Star Wars, whatever you want, Wars Trek, you're getting Star Wars product that somebody thought through, somebody wanted to make, they have a solid concept, and then maybe we're going to build something out of it. Or not, who cares? Randy, so, you have thoughts? Well, I, just, I was just curious, uh, I really have a question for you guys. Uh, how much of this do you think has to do with you know, the shift to television and Disney Plus? Well, that's, that's, I mean, why, I was, that's why I was that's why I comment. A lot of these ideas were... A lot of these films, you know, that like what we're talking about is a time before we had all the, you know, so, I mean, you know, do we think that, you know, is, is it a failure or is it just a shift of focus? I, I honestly think it's a shift, a shift of focus. And, and like I said, that though does bring into the question of how much money are these Star Wars properties, are these Marvel properties making for Disney Plus as television shows? Because one of the, you know, the big talking points in technology right now is all these companies are saying that their streaming services are losing them money because not only do they have to deal with the creation of the product, they also have to deal with essentially the distribution arm of the product, which is costing a lot more than they thought. And so it's like, well, uh, do we continue to spend a hundred million dollars on an Andor series and only bring in $20 million in revenue? Although do the numbers, people just add up how much subscribers Disney plus has plus times their times their monthly rate, then times that by 12 Disney's making doing fine with this. But the thought, the part they're not telling you is Disney plus has to buy that from Lucasfilm, even though there's the same company on paper. And then Disney plus has to pay for the server and the internet fees and all of that stuff, which can cost, you know, several hundred million dollars at the end of the day, all the stuff that they're paying for, for these original programmings on Disney plus is that offset by their, by their uh, subscription rate. And right now, according to Disney, they say that's not the case. Um, doesn't mean that the quality of those star Wars shows or the Marvel shows on Disney plus are any less. Uh, it just brings into question, you know, where are they going to focus their attention going forward? Well, especially because, you know, for as much as we love the new content, you know, the numbers show that, you know, the most popular show on Disney plus is the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Well, that's you know, that's due to my son who watched uh, yeah. all thirty seasons back to back. No, but I'm saying, like, you know, five years ago, the most popular shows on, you know, before Peacock and before mm-hmm. uh, HBO Max and all the most popular shows on Netflix were Friends and The right. Office. What I'm saying is that I think as they're looking at at the, at the statistics and the numbers and the you know uh, the analytics as they come in, they're realizing you know they're making as much or more money from things that were paid for a long time ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and so that's I why that should make us very concerned about the future of new content. Right. And that's why, you know, services like Netflix were willing to spend a billion dollars for five years of friends and Seinfeld and all of that, yeah. because they knew they would bring in subscribers for that. So, yeah. Yeah. cause it's, and, and again, obviously 
you know, I'm a musician, so I, you know, <laughs> I know about the death of the creation of new content. You know, and there's just what I'm saying is that, you know, because of what happened with the music industry, that's the big question that, you know, that, that musicians are asking is, you know, how do we, you know, the, the, currently in the music industry, there isn't really a methodology for supporting the creation of new music. Mm-hmm. You know? right. I mean, it's like, you know, you know, the, you know, how do you, how do you support the music? Well, you just become Lady Gaga, you know, you, you know, you, yeah. but, you know, there, and, and so it's, you know, like right now, you know, TV you know, streaming is in a pretty good sweet spot where we're getting a tremendous amount of insanely high quality content mm-hmm. on a regular basis, you know, but you know, yeah, I don't know that it's sustainable. No, financially. I think, I think we're going to see at least one streaming service shut down this year, or they're going to, within the next five years, we're going to see at least one service shut down and a major one too. Rodrigo yeah. and I think talked about that, uh, not too long ago. Just yeah. because of of the way it is, there's just too much. What do you think? What's your what's what's your you know? Originally, uh, I was gonna, originally, yeah. Originally, I was going to say Peacock, but then I was like, no, that's backed by Paramount uh, and Universal, so that's not going away. Paramount Plus might, but I really think Hulu by the end of this year might be on a chopping block because there are two companies that currently own Hulu. Uh, one of them is Disney, and the other one is I forget what the company name is, but there's some buyout option that comes up in October where the other company whose name I can't remember can say, Hey, Disney, we want you to buy us out of our remaining uh, ownership of this company. Or they can say, no, we like the way things are going right now. Please continue. If they force Disney to buy, I think Disney's just going to say, well, we've already got parental controls in place on our Disney plus service. So we're going to shut down Hulu and just bring all that content over to Disney plus. I'm just going to say, yeah, if Disney absorbs Hulu, that also becomes a place where ABC TV can stream. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, right now, you know, um, and it makes cord cutting that much easier. Yeah. You know, so well, and, yeah. and in other countries, it's like that in other countries, yeah. a lot of Hulu stuff is just on Disney plus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also that would, that would also bring over FX. It would bring over AMC. You know what I'm saying? You know, mm-hmm. ABC, this, you know, all that stuff is under Hulu right now. Right. And if that gets absorbed by Disney plus, that makes Disney plus, you know, a monster, you know, mm-hmm. even more, oh, yeah. but also it makes, you know, cord cutting that much easier because yeah. I think, yeah. um, I, you know, I, I think if that does happen, Disney's going to have to do a major restructuring of the Disney plus interface because it's going to be too confusing to find stuff. It's already pretty confusing just to try to yeah. find stuff now. So they're going to really have to break that down into here's your kids entertainment. Here's your, you know, movies entertainment, you know, and break those down further. But I think that, that, sites the the application is yeah. going to have to go through a major interface design yeah. uh, one, when that happens one more i think that we're losing right now and by we i mean you know the informed consumer is you know the algorithm is winning you know what i mean and it's like okay like think like let's say you're a huge fan of stand-up comedy so you you know uh and you go to netflix and you you know it is currently impossible to look at let alone watch but even to find a list of every stand-up comedy special yep. on netflix yep. <laughs> like, no we will not let you do that they would rather control what you see mm-hmm. and allow you know, and the idea is it's aimed at the and i use this word in its actual meaning not not as an insult it's, it's aimed at the ignorant consumer right, you know right. it's aimed at, in other words just someone who just like let me watch what i want to watch and then just show me something else you know, make yeah. my decisions for me. Um, but you know, again, comic lifelong comic book fans, that's not the way we roll. 
You know, we want to know everything. We want to know who lettered the comic, and then we want to seek other work that that person lettered. You know what I mean? Uh, You know, that's the you know that's the way we are. We cared passionately about every name. You know, um, and so we you know we find something we like, we want to drain that. You know, we want to say, okay, what else did this person write, or what else did this person act in, what else did this person you know ink or whatever. Um, and it's becoming harder and harder because as you said, as these get bigger and bigger, you know, like they, they're, again, I'm also a librarian and, and, you know, and, and, you know, cataloging, the goal of cataloging in in librarianship is to provide access in whatever way the, the patron wants to access it. You don't get to decide how they access it. Right. You, mm-hmm. Your job is to think about the, how many different ways might they access it. Oh and yeah, then, man. That the, and, takes me back to the old card catalog days where you had to yeah, you know, cross index everything. Exactly. Sure. You know, see also, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, but the thing is that, you know, we're, we're living in a world where that's just not what I mean. It's like, the, it frustrates me because Netflix, they obviously have catalogers mm-hmm. and they have people doing the metadata and, you right. know, doing the taxonomy. They're, they're creating all these things. And why won't they share that? Why won't they let the informed consumer, you know, see that? I just yeah. want to see a list. You know, I just, you know, like, I'm not saying you need to put it up front. I just say, make it discoverable. You know, right. make it, well, so I mean, that I, you know, the, you know, like, it's just weird that I can't do an exhaustive search of any topic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or any, oh, yeah. any genre. Well, I, I find that on every platform, even on, uh, I, uh, on Apple TV, when I want to go and find a particular movie, it's like, well, I just want to find all the movies that are detective movies. You can't find those. You can't, you have yeah. to go in by genre. And even then their genres are only the high level genre, action, right. drama, animation, thriller, uh, independent and foreign. And so it's like, yeah, good luck. I find it interesting that you say even on Apple TV, because in a lot of ways, Apple is the, the model for this Apple's, Hey, here's the, here's the interface. You're going to use this limited way that you can use it and you can't use it any other way is literally Apple's old school no, but, business model. No, but the what Rand's talking about is the the algorithm and that's more the YouTube method where YouTube is like here's what you're going to watch based on things hey, that you've seen. So, yeah. you got to go through the you got to go through the GUI to get to the algorithm, so that's Right. I think there's yeah. a there's something yeah, but, to that. Yeah, what I'm saying though is like, you know, like if you go like even in YouTube though, if you know, if I want to, I can type in a search. Yeah. And I can look at the 300,000 results. What I'm yeah. saying is like when you go to Netflix, like they, you know, you're scrolling down Netflix and you see, okay, here's, you know, movies about left-handed dentists, but there's not even all of them. There's only, here's the eight movies about left-handed mm-hmm. dentists that we're going to let you know exist. You know, even right. their little stupidly curated subject lists aren't complete. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what's frustrating to me. It's like, you know, to be like, Ooh, stand-up specials. And there, but there's like 12 of them, you know, like they, they don't, you know, and, and like I said, I get it that they're saying, you know, most people would be over, would be paralyzed by, you know, choice, by choice, yeah. you know, there's, yeah. there's too much, but, and, and that's what I'm saying. That's a, that's a great, it's again, as a librarian, like when you go to any library's homepage, you know, yeah, like the default search, the thing at the top is the simplest search, you know, but any library's homepage, you know, any, you know, you have the ability to go to the advanced screen. You have the ability to go three layers deep, and then you have access to everything. And those that know what they're doing can do right. an exhaustive search. Because again, because yeah, some you know you want the freshmen to be able to just mash their palm against the keypad and pull up a full text article. But there's also a doctoral student who needs to know that they've read every single article in existence on their topic. 
Yeah. Right. But the library is meant to be a service and Netflix is meant to make us the product to where we see what they're making sure they can profit off of. And I, I feel like it's, a, it, well, I don't want to go off on this. Hey, we've got one more news yeah. story that we need to get through, but we know, oh, hey. but now today we definitely know what sets Rand off everybody. Yeah. <laughs> go Rand. He wants, to, he wants to know who inked that comic uh, special. That was, yes, it right. was uh, Vinnie Coletta. Vinnie Coletta yeah. did everything. All right. So uh, Image Comics has announced the return of Battle Chasers again. Uh, the on again, off again series from Joe Madureira and Lubo Lulabi picks up the action with issue number 10. The story arc titled Martial Law introduces readers to a new tale featuring the retired swordsman Garrison and the fugitive Red Monica as they face off against Maestro's gang of supernatural killers, the Martial Paladins. Battle Chasers number 10 arrives on June 14th, 2023. Something uh, like a date that was probably something somebody did as a joke back in 2001. Uh, 2021, actually, that's when, uh, Joe Maggiaria went to uh, Twitter and was like, Hey, here's some, some preview pages of issue number 10. And yeah. then it took until February of this year when, uh, I mean, it's was cool like, yeah, when, we got the new issue coming in. Whenever new battle chaser stuff comes out, I'm good to check it out. Obviously I've, you know, I've lost the thread. I'm not sure what all is happening. Also, you know, I know this is probably a short uh press release but i didn't see the words gully or calibretto in it so already i'm like a lot less interested um so we'll see they're probably in there they just think like main character and uh the girl with the shaboom booms should Mm -hmm. be up front it it makes sense i don't know i um the fact that i feel like i've been burned by this series so many times in that you know, hey, here's an issue. Issue 10 comes out. Are we going to have to wait 10 years for the issue 11 to come out? Or No, I mean, this one we waited 20 years for, so the next one will be 40. It's an exponential. I yeah. mean, I just, I, 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 I approach Battle Chasers like, um, like I'm looking at it through, like, it's like I'm going through a train, and every once in a while I look out the window and there's Battle Chasers, right? And, yeah. then, and there it went. And I don't really expect to see Battle Chasers again, but it's nice to look out the window and see it again yeah. or see something else. It's like, apparently, like the THQ Nordic game is like canonical. And I'm like, that's probably the most concise chunk of Battle Chasers you can get mm-hmm. because somebody actually sat down and make, made a whole video game about it. Yeah. Um, so maybe just check that out and wait for like the next thing to come out. Although I stopped playing it cause it was buggy. So, uh, they probably <laughs> passed it since then. If it, if it still works, I was up on uh steam yesterday and I was like, Oh yeah, there's battle, battle chasers. And Oh, it, it won't play on my, uh, on my Mac because, uh, doesn't do 32 bit games anymore. 32 bit graphics or 32 bit yeah. applications. So it's like, yeah, maybe check with the, uh, with the developers I, and see if they've got a 64 bit version of this. Cause we're not sure it's going to work on your Mac anymore. Yeah. It's, it's tough to be into battle chasers. You really have to like, again, just treat it like, uh, like the, the mint on your pillow when you are at a, at a <laughs> hotel, right? It's like, it's, you're going to get a small amount and it's nice to have it, but you, you can't have a whole package of mints. They just don't make those. Yeah. Uh, dear listener, you can join this conversation. Uh, 
talk about this. You can talk about why you hate the Netflix interface and the search engines on all the streaming services. Over on our Discord server, you can join the Major Spoilers Discord server. For how much, Rodrigo? How much does it cost to join the Discord server? Uh, I believe it's $0 right now. $0 right now. We would love to see you, dear listener, show up. We've actually had quite a few people show up in the last week uh, because yeah. our community just keeps growing, 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 because that's where the awesome spoilerites like you hang out. If you're looking for a link, it's in the show notes, and there are cat gifts and other things awaiting your arrival. Let us do some reviews. I will start out this week with Superman Lost number one from DC Comics. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I reviewed, oh, I guess it was last week, uh, Superman John Kent number one. The uh, And it's like Superman is off planet doing something, so he's not in the picture. And I thought that Superman Lost was kind of a tie-in maybe to those events to say, to show what was going on with Superman. It's not. It's a standalone series. It has nothing to do with uh, with anything else in the main DCU. This is a, a 10-issue series from Christopher Priest and Carlo, uh, Pag- uh, how do you say his last name? Pagulian? Pagulian, uh, okay. Um, the story is, and it takes place in, I don't know what Earth, because uh, in current DCU, Superman and Lois live, or Clark and Lois live out on the on the farm. Uh, here they're still in an apartment and the story is that Superman and Lois or Clark and Lois are going about their day at the end of the day. She's worried about some story that she's got to write and he's cooking or he's fixing a toaster because that's how he relaxes. And then uh, he gets interrupted because he has to go on a Justice League adventure. And she's like, OK, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to start working on on this new story that I'm doing. And then the next thing she knows Superman is standing back in the apartment and he seems in a daze and she's like, Hey Clark, what's, you know, what's going on? There's a knock at the door. Batman is there. And he's like, Lois, I'm so sorry. I have some bad news. And then he sees Superman standing there and he's like, what's going on? And Superman is like, I have been away for 20 years. And so then we get a flashback to the justice league as they find a uh, faster than light, an FTL engine in an alien spaceship at the bottom of the ocean that has become corrupted and is creating a an event horizon in which Superman is the only one who can close it. And he ends up getting sucked to the other side of the universe or somewhere. We don't know. Uh, we have to find out in the next remaining nine issues of the series to see what is going on. It's a really clever setup. What happens when you've been gone 20 years, but to everyone else, you've only been gone a few minutes. Um, I found the writing from Christopher Priest very excellent. I found the art very Interesting, especially in the way that he portrays uh, some of the characters, uh, particularly Green Arrow and Batman in in their antics, and especially Bruce Wayne out of costume. Uh, But uh, I found the issue very, very good. I wanted a double sized issue. Uh, I wanted a little bit more to the story of what happened when he when he found himself on the other side of the uh, of the universe or wherever he ends up. Enjoyed it very, very much. It's out today from DC Comics. I'm giving it four slices of meatloaf. I really enjoyed it a lot. And uh, I, I'm probably going to read the rest of this rest of this series. I think the reason why I knock it down just a little bit is I think there could have been a little polish here and there. Uh, there seemed to be maybe a few panels that felt filler-ish as opposed to moving the story forward. Uh, and I was kind of hoping that this would have been at least tied into some other part of the main DC but, um, you know, that isn't really important as much as it is uh, the story that matters. So four out of five slices of meatloaf. Superman lost number one from DC Comics. 
there are a whole bunch of comics that are coming out on Wednesday. Rand, what do you have? Because I'm very interested in this one. I have The Forged, number one, from Image Comics. Uh, this is written by Greg Rucka and Eric Troutman and illustrated by Mike Henderson. Uh, and all three of those uh, those people get creator credit. So, you know, created by the three of them. Um, uh, probably the most exciting thing about this comic, other than if you're a Greg Rucka fan, uh, the triumphant return of Greg Rucka to creator on comics, is that the first issue is oversized, both in page and format, meaning nice. that it's got 64 pages. There's that double-sized issue you were asking for. Yes, thank and you. And it's also, the format of the comic is slightly larger than 8 by 10. It's like 8 and a quarter by like 10 and a half. I don't know, I don't know the exact dimensions, but, you know, so it's it's a larger comic as well, uh, which is a format that I know uh, Aftershock has been experimenting with, kind of the, I don't know if you've seen, the Aftershock's had a lot of comics that are kind of, that look like the Marvel, the original Marvel mm-hmm. graphic novel. Uh, and so it's nice to see image kind of experimenting with this as well. Um, now let me say, uh, I am one of those people that was very excited about Greg Rucka coming back. I love Greg Rucka. Um, but I should acknowledge that, uh, in the past, I haven't enjoyed his previous co-writing work with Troutman as much as I enjoy the work he does on his own. And sadly, this, this follows that pattern to some extent, um, uh, let me say, you know, Sturgeon's law, you may know, it posits that 90% of everything is crap. And I start with that because I want to be very clear that this is not crap by any reasonable definition. Uh, and for that, I'm thankful. It's, you know, um, it, it, you know, I'm not, you know, but I guess like the pitch, image comics, the pitch for this, like the quote was, um, over the top pulp adventure of sex, violence, and sci-fi inspired by Conan, heavy metal, and other comics you tried to hide from your parents. Now, I certainly got the heavy metal, but I detected no notes of Conan, (laughs) nor did I get the -the over-the-top pulp adventures of sex and violence, unless having your main character dressed in a preposterously short crop top counts as sex. Um, You know, I guess I was a little disappointed to find that there's no real kind of hard SF hook. Um, Again, I acknowledge it may just be that this sort of space opera just, just isn't my thing. And I guess one of the reasons I'm being a little harsher than, than I might like is that I feel like, importantly, this was a 64-page comic, and that should be more than enough pages to hook me in with something. But the whole thing still felt like a prelude to a larger story. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have preferred, like, the opening, you know, like the first, I don't know, like 10 pages, it's like three or four pages of kind of like, you know, shots of space outside and, you know, the coordinates thing that Greg Rucka is so fond of. I mean, you just kind of like very basic information about the location, and then maybe five or six pages of uh, of the forge. These women kind of just talking while they're you know just kind of hanging out, talking, and it's it's an entertaining conversation. But again, I would have liked uh, a more engaging opening scene, something to hook me in terms of the story, uh, or maybe a proper action sequence, something to kind of you know give me a little more. Um, you know, and again, by the end, you know, by the end of 64 pages, you know who to care about. You know the stakes. You know the world. And again, there's nothing bad about this comic. There's nothing I can point to that say, you know, it's it's you know poorly written or it's poorly illustrated or whatever. Big reveal or the awesome science fiction concept is just around the corner. You know, not to put mm-hmm. too fine a point on it, but they had 64 pages to show to show me something irresistible, and they failed to do that. Um, 
Now, again, as I said, I love Rucka, and I will probably, because of my love for Rucka, this book, another look, you know, once it's collected. And again, I'll say that, you know, this isn't bad at all, but, but for me, you know, so far it's just not for me. Okay. All right. That's uh, fine. I will give it three out of five slices of meatloaf. Uh, yeah, three slices of meatloaf that didn't taste as good as I wanted them to. How's that? <laughs> Need some extra crackers and an extra uh, base. Uh, yeah, a lot of mustard. Yeah. A lot of mustard, man. Yeah, there less cracker, more mustard. Rodrigo, uh, it's been a while since we've taken a look at Archie Comics. I almost decided to review this one, mm-hmm. but uh, I did not. So tell me what's going on with Betty and Veronica's Jumbo Comics Digest, number 312. Betty and Veronica's Jumbo Comics Digest, number 312, uh, is a it's an Archie Digest. So it has approximately 10,000 comics in it. <laughs> um, which were printed anywhere from the year 2023, because there's a couple new ones, all the way back to probably the 60s, I would imagine. I have no idea. Um, definitely one of the fun things about these digests is that they put in stories, and the stories are not in chronological order. So you go from uh, something that was made this year, and then you jump, and then you have to look at like what Betty and Veronica are wearing, and it's like, this might have been the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you can kind of, uh, uh, most of these are remastered, so you can't go by like the color. Um, but sometimes you can go by like the detail. Like It's like, this comic has Archie wearing like, like a plaid shirt and in mm-hmm. every page you can see the lines on his shirt so it's like this is probably more recent than uh you know whenever but the 50s or whatever uh in this one there are two new stories that are right up front uh one of them is a story about the ghost fox who is a character i'd never heard of um but i don't know if archie is pushing him now or if this is something new that they're working on, or if this is like an ancient um, legacy Archie character, because uh, although I do enjoy the occasional Archie, Betty, Veronica, Jughead, Sabrina comic, um, for a while there, they were putting out about 17 comics a day for like mm-hmm. 30 years. So it's very difficult to to even remember all of the all the ones that I've read, forget all of the ones that I probably haven't read. So I don't know who this character is. Is his um, name Shinji? His name is Shinji. Ghost Fox is the son of the second Fox, grandson of the original 1940s MLJ Archie Comics Fox. Ah, so well, he is the legacy kid. Ah, there you go. So um, this is a story in which uh, Kevin Keller and Veronica meet him, and it goes poorly for them. Um as you might expect, because this one's a comedy. And then there's one where uh, the other new one is uh, Betty and Veronica are at the ranch, which I guess is the thing. I mean, Veronica's rich, right? So presumably they have a ranch. Mm-hmm. And uh, some horses get out, and there's like a cool new guy who wears a cool mask. And helps them wrangle the horses. Also, Betty in this wrangles horses, which I always thought like it's like Betty's like the, the down to earth one. So it's like I'm sure at some point in the past it was down to earth to know how to ride, but it's kind of not anymore unless you're maybe specifically from like you know Kansas, Texas, 
uh, places like that. It's like uh, I, I really see Betty more as like an urban kid. So I was surprised when she like jumps on a horse and helps wrangle some horses. Again, the continuous for these characters are massive, right? Completely dwarf, like many superheroes. Um, so it's always a trip to read the 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 digest. I enjoy it a lot. Um, I want to give this. I'll give it three slices of meatloaf. It makes for a fun read. I didn't read all of them. Some of them I looked at and I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to mess with this one. Um, there's, there's a, uh, Salem comic in here, not a Sabrina comic, but a Salem comic. So that's something to look forward to. If you get to the middle of it, uh, three slices of meatloaf for me. All right. Very good. Matthew, we're going to wrap it up with a new Star Trek series out from IDW publishing. Yeah. A few years ago, uh, during dueling reviews, Stephen and I reviewed a Star Trek crossover series, which took the crew's of Deep Space Nine, the original Enterprise, the Next Generation Enterprise, and the Voyager, and threw them all together and played Yahtzee and mixed up the crews. So if you like that, I recommend you check out Star Trek Defiant, written by Christopher Cadwell, art by Angel Unzueta. It is basically rolling out of IDW's new Star Trek continuity. I'm not sure new, new, but it rolls out of issue 400 of Star Trek. And 400, of course, counts everything all the way back to the gold key stuff where it went pew-pew and nobody knew what the license was. But uh, if you remember Emperor Kales, who beat up Kirk once, and you remember that Emperor Kales was cloned in the last season of Deep Space Nine, then you're a nerd like me. And the clone of Emperor Kales, the leader of the Klingon Empire, has now uh, gone rogue and is crossing the universe with his evil, evil band of evil guys, uh, the Red Path. So Lieutenant Worf, being the highest ranking Klingon in Starfleet, has to interface. Ooh. Are you there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I went silent. I thought I lost you. Lieutenant Worf has to interface with Starfleet's highest ranking ambassador, a man named Spock. And in order to get some help, he enlists Milana Torres, who was the uh, engineer of the Voyager, and Ro Laren, who's currently in prison for being a separatist. And during all of this, he discovers that his son, Alexander, has joined Kales's weird band of uh, wacky pirates. So Worf is given and or takes a secret mission and he goes out in the Defiant with his new crew and a Starfleet alert goes out recommending that everyone take great care because the Defiant has been stolen by criminal criminals who have criminal things going on. Now, if you've seen the cover of this issue, you may also note the face of Brent Spiner as one of the characters on the composite cover, because with the exception of Leonard Nimoy, whose uh, likeness is a little wobbly here in that it's about 20 years younger than Spock was the last time we saw him. Um, all of the actual uh, likenesses are really, really good. Angel does good art and it doesn't feel superposed. It doesn't feel too referential. 
there are weird facial expressions. And at one point you see Captain Cisco, and it's clearly Cisco's face, but he's making a face that I don't think Avery Brooks would or could ever make because Avery Brooks is too cool. Um, but if you know Brent Spiner's face, and if you know your Star Trek history, and if you know that they're doing something weird and criminal and under the table, you probably know where I'm going. So the last page reveal may not be a shocking surprise. However, even though you and I are both uh, high-level nerds, pat yourself on the back, you're the cool kids, that reveal was well done. And in the context of the story, comes out as really shocking. If you don't know what I'm talking about, pick it up. It's a good solid book. Three and a half slices of meatloaf. Like so many number ones, they had so much legwork they had to do that I feel like I wanted more. I feel like I wanted more story to go along with all of the things that we had to establish and the six people in the crew that we had to remind everyone who they were and you have to do all the things. And, you know, having just watched an episode of Picard that shared some of the cast of this book, I was reminded of, yeah, I do kind of miss Next Generation. I do miss the days of Deep Space Nine. So if you're into your classic old, I don't, I say classic, your 30-year-old Star Trek as opposed to your 60-year-old Star Trek, uh, definitely you want to check out Defiant. Three and a half slices of the meatloaf. There you go. You can find these reviews, not these reviews, but you can find all sorts of reviews (laughs) over at Majorspoilers.com. Something new almost every single day of the week. Go check it out. Also want to send a big thank you to everyone who supports the show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers podcast network. This week, we have shout outs to a whole lot of awesome people. First up is Justin Chrysler, who just became a gold level patron. Matthew Briggs, who jumped to a new patron level at the yearly rate. And save some money in the process. That's what happens when you pay a year in advance. And to Stephen Howland, who became one of our new associate producers. We're waiting to give you a shout out right here on this show, or maybe even on Critical Hit, depending on your pledge level. All you need to do is join us over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. That uh, address again is patreon.com slash major spoilers. This week. Shazam! Fury of the Gods enters into the theaters. I think my youngest, it's a movie that I took him to the very first Shazam movie, and he loved it. He thought it was the best movie ever, and I think we're going to try to go and see it this week. But before we head out into the movie theater, uh, let's talk about Superman Shazam! First Thunder, one of the newer first meetings of this duo. Written by Judd Winnick with art by Joshua Middleton. Obviously out from DC Comics. Hmm. This, what I like about how, there's two great parts that I like about this. The very beginning where Winnick sets up, you know, first there was a Superman, then there was a Batman. And it was still a few years before we would get a Wonder Woman or an Aquaman or a Martian Manhunter or a Green Lantern. Uh, But before those people showed up, there was Shazam. And this is an adventure that uh, Superman and Shazam have where they get to team up and fight uh, Dr. Savannah, a little bit of Lex Luthor stuff uh, mixed in as well, but mostly mm-hmm. Dr. Savannah. And they realize that Superman is weak to magic. Uh, Shazam is not. They can kind of work together and and uh, uh, cannonball special their powers to take down different sets of monsters as they try <laughs> to figure out 
the uh, the whodunit, even though they know it is it is Savannah. And then, um, uh, you know, at the same time, they're both trying to keep their secret identities away from each other. And of course, we know that Shazam is Billy Batson or Captain Marvel is Billy Batson. And there's a moment where Dr. Savannah, thanks to Lex Luthor's help, finds out who Shazam is. He sends a hit team down into the subway to take out uh, the kid and in the process accidentally kills Billy's best friend. And uh, Billy then uses the power of Shazam, wants to go after Dr. Savannah to possibly kill him. And uh, then he breaks and mm-hmm. Superman is very upset with him, you know, wants to take him down until Billy reveals, hey, uh, I need to t- I need to tell you something. And he transforms back into Billy Batson and he's like, hey, here's my secret. And then we get and this is in the last issue of this uh, mm-hmm. series. We get the best Superman moment where he's mm-hmm. like, who did this to you? And yes. then he goes off and has words with uh, the wizard, the wizard Shazam. And the wizard's like, look, uh, this is just how it happens. You know, I can't do anything about that, but he really could use a mentor or a friend. And then Superman goes and finds Billy and reveals his secret identity to him. And that's how the series ends. It is. I don't know what you guys think about this, but I just really, really like this, this team up. I really like this book. I love that moment, and I love the fact that Superman confronts Shazam, and he's he's up in the wizard's face, and he's not screaming and yelling and threatening. He's just like, "How could you do this to a little boy?" Yeah, to a boy, yeah, yeah. He's he's sitting here as a grown man who knows what you know. Basically, the maybe the only person who knows what Billy is dealing with. And he's just like, how dare you? How could you do this? And it's such a telling moment for both characters. It's really nicely done. And if you balance it with that moment where he shows up expecting, you know, Captain Marvel to be angry. And what he finds is a young boy in tears, you know, on on the edge of a breakdown. And even Superman, he's, he's pausing and he's so confused. You can see the look on his face. What is going on here? Captain Marvel is at heart a boy. And I feel like there are a lot of things I can say about a Judd Winnick script that'll drive me up the wall. But when Judd is on and when I feel like he's really got a handle on the characters, man, you get some good storytelling. I I agree. This is just a wonderful story top to bottom for me. Yeah. Rand, what did you think of this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think... I mean, obviously, that moment, you know, the who did this to you? I mean, that is pure Superman. That that page should be sent around the Internet as frequently as, as Regan on the ledge. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, that's just, you know, absolutely perfect. I think the two things that, you know, to, to kind of uh, piggyback on what Matthew was saying, one is that, you know, it's important to think, to remember that this moment where Superman is confronting Shazam is, as, as you said, Stephen, is a moment when there aren't a lot of other superheroes. Mm-hmm. So... Meaning that there isn't a Justice League, you know, so Superman doesn't really, hasn't really figured out what the rules are for what it means to even be a superhero yet. And yet he still has this in, you know, still has this rage in him about this. But I think in, in, equally important to me is that Superman confronts Shazam knowing that he's made of magic. Mm-hmm. In other words, Superman is confronting this guy 
like fully aware that if this goes, you know, if this goes south, it's going to end poorly for him. Yes, the one man who can mess up his stuff. Yeah, he's just learned that he's susceptible to magic, and then he goes toe to toe with him with this powerful magician, and it's like he doesn't care. It's like you know, this is it's you know, and again, so so he's got that. We can be like not only do we understand his righteous indignation, but it's like he has the right. He he can't back it up with invulnerability, like he normally can. Right, and I think that makes it that much more exciting. I think. I mean, the whole you know, obviously. You know, this is a fine kind of year one story beginning mm-hmm. to end, but the fo- the last issue elevates it to must read status. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. The last the issue fourth, is, I mean, is like, what's so, you know, like the fourth issue was so good that it makes me feel bad for the first three issues. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it, it, you know, I mean, which is not an insult to the first. Three. The first three issues are fine. But man, that fourth issue should be time vaulted as this is what. A successful superhero comic is yeah you know you you mentioned that i'm i want to go back because dc in their animated universe did do a superman shazam uh animated movie where they have to take on a uh, black adam and i want to say that they did incorporate that scene into the animated movie i can't remember uh hmm. And so a lot gonna... more, a lot more stuff goes up in that movie. Like Talkie Tawny is in it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's a lot of different stuff going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, but, what did but, you but, think? Do they have that scene though? I don't think so. I don't. I don't remember that scene. Okay. But tell us, Rodrigo, what you thought of this. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I, I. So this is a good Superman story because the thing that you always get from people that are like they're like oh well superman's invulnerable like how like superman's boring what can ever happen happen to superman and it's like well that that's what you get from someone who's never read good superman stories mm-hmm. right it's like mm-hmm. at, at no point are we like oh no superman's gonna die right at no point like even when even when like trolls are like shooting him with magic spit and cleaning his clock or whatever like you know superman's probably not gonna die from this and it's like that's not the point the point is superman's budding relationship with uh captain marvel which this this comic also happens in that like in between time where like you're not allowed to put captain marvel on the cover but Mm -hmm. they're still calling him captain marvel in the comic i think yeah um yeah before they just full on went like they just let's just call him Shazam, and yes, I know the wizards also call that, but just just roll with it. <laughs> um, and uh, so because of because of that, because that's the focus of the book, it I I forgive a lot of it's kind of like all over the placeness. Like mm-hmm. flipping through it, I'm like, oh yeah, like Eclipso is in this. <laughs> I know, right. It's like all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I am Eclipso. Eclipso <laughs> stuff just feels like a writer going, you know who I always liked? Yeah, you know who doesn't get enough play Eclipso? Yeah, and, see, so, and they're I right. I assume Middleton was like, I really want to draw Eclipso. Could you write him into this? <laughs> it's <laughs> and it's like, like it's just like it's just presented in such a weird way. Like the Eclipso stuff, I'm just like, none of this really needed to be here. But okay. Well, unless you're going from the, you know, Superman is weak to magic. Eclipso is definitely using magic. Right. How can they each do their thing 
and still and still save the day? How do they, you know, here, right. you know, we're talking about two heroes when they first meet are punching giant robots. Then they're fighting snot monsters. Then they're fighting Eclipso. And it's at that point where they really realize, like, which are each of our strengths and weaknesses. Shazam, yeah. you go after Eclipso. I'll go after the raining diamonds that are that are falling uh, uh, down on everybody that I can control. And I think they realize that we that our partnership works best when we understand what our strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah, it does help to differentiate, uh, even for the characters in universe, mm-hmm. the real differences between the characters. And that's something well, because that, that was something that historically was a big deal. Um, well, yeah, I mean, DC initially sued Fawcett in 1940, and it literally took until 53 for that to work its way through the various courts. So, yeah, agreed. But I also feel like Rodrigo's point is valid up to the point where I don't know how much time takes place in this. I feel like it may be, you know, in between issues, there may be weeks or months. It may be, it's not like a, a linear time frame. And I feel like this may be like the thousand foot view of the building of this early, you know, friendship or mentorship or whatever you want to call it. But I have to appreciate the fact that it follows the DC universe rules in that Superman comes first, then Batman, and then Captain Marvel. So, I mean, that point makes sense. And if you look at who might be around that early, taking into account Silver Age, Eclipso actually kind of predates a lot of the Silver Age heroes. Sure. So I, okay. I feel yeah. like that's legit. Up well, to it, also, it also follows the history. Like, in other words, yeah. Superman, came, Superman came out first, and then Batman, and then Captain Marvel. Like, yep. you know, before all the other characters that he mentioned. So it is, I think it's kind of clever that it, it reflects the actual mm-hmm. publishing history of the comics. Yeah. yeah that's what that's I like about there. the opening of this is that's really well, you know, it's, it's in a weird time for DC because this was what, 2015 or whatever, whenever they were just switching like into their 2008, isn't it? Was that, was that what it was? I don't yeah, remember. This is, this is this one is, of their this earlier. This is pre new 52 for sure. Or it's right on, it's right on the heels of that or part of that new 52. I don't remember. And this is kind of, no, like it that. came, it came well before the new 52. Okay. I think the original publishing was like 2006. Mm. I, uh, mm. I really wish that they had done it that way, but only with properties that DC acquired. So it was it was like long before there was a faceless man with a fedora and long before there was a guy with like a mask, but he also shoots, gun, you know, grifter, you know, whatever grifter looks like. Yeah, right. Um, there like was this guy. guy with a banana. Yeah, it's like uh, uh, before there was you... like a, a kind of an adorable gay couple that are also really mean superheroes. What did you guys think of the Savannah? Well, Savannah Lex Luthor relationship. Um, I, I felt that was a little too on the nose of being yeah. like, well, I'm the supervillain for this city. Right. Like, and I know that they're, they're like, you know, they don't see themselves as supervillains, but mm-hmm. it, like drawing, like drawing a parallel between Savannah and Lex Luthor only kind of weakens Savannah as a character, I think, because he just feels like another Lex Luthor. Yeah. And Judd's take on Savannah predates this book because he he did a chunk of Savannah stuff when Captain Marvel Jr. or CM3 
was in The Outsiders a couple of years previous to this. And I dislike Judd Savannah because Judd Savannah is primarily like uh, um, a scummy mob boss more than anything else. And I always felt like Savannah was interesting because he was he was the brain schmuck. You know, he was he was kind of a distillation of what those early Luthor ultra humanite stories, a different direction that it could have gone. Whereas this Lex Luthor is very much John Burns post-crisis Lex Luthor of I'm a corporate raider, you know, I'm, you know, basically T Boone Pickens only with a bad haircut. And I, I hate the fact that you've taken away what made Savannah most interesting, you know, in the golden age and in the seventies, and you've replaced it with something that is or was Luthor's shtick. So you've kind of, You've you've not just weakened Savannah by placing him in Luthor's shadow. You've intentionally made him into a shadow of Luthor and then put him there in the hopes that he can stand up. And the story demonstrates that, no, he cannot. Unless, and I'm just postulating because uh, I don't know the intent of the writer, unless that was the point. Because, you know, the argument was that Captain Marvel is just a ripoff of of Superman, why not make Savannah the weaker version of Lex Luthor and throw in all the horribleness that you get from a crotchety old rich man uh, who uses some inappropriate words that are, you know, probably fine in 2005, 2006, but certainly not appropriate uh, today. Uh, And so that was maybe a little shocking, but also quite on par, I think for the character Um, to said that back then. Um, I I really kind of like their dynamic of, you know, constantly bickering, constantly fighting with one another, constantly, you know, the Ford to the to the GM or the Chrysler. Uh, I, I really kind of enjoyed that stuff. I'm not a big fan of some of the words that came out of Savannah's mouth, but I, I kind of yeah. like that relationship. Yeah, it's funny. I guess I, I would really love to see. I'd love to read Winnick's pitch for this. All right. Mm-hmm. because you know there's a part of me that suspects that he just pitched like because as again like the end is so strong mm-hmm. i'm wondering if he just kind of pitched a story yeah, and then like oh that sounds great give me four issues and he's like oh four issues huh <laughs> <laughs> like you know like maybe he was pitching you know a 48 page <laughs> story um because you know because it feels like um you know, like there, there's a like you said but there's nothing in it that's that's bad but there's a lot in it that doesn't really you know, it's not yeah, a stream. It doesn't lead us to like the same yeah. place. Yeah, because I feel like, like, you know, again, like that, you know, um, you know, I mean, and, you know, again, I, I had my wife read the fourth issue, just the fourth issue. Mm-hmm. And it affect, you know, she, it had the exact effect that it had on all of us, I promise you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like what I'm saying is like, you know, none of the emotional impact of that issue required the first three issues. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You know, yeah. and again, and that's like, I don't want to, you know, again, I would definitely, I mean, I still recommend the whole thing. I think it's, you know, it's a solid read, but it does, you know, I, I would be curious to, this is one example where I wish the deluxe edition had his, you know, his, his, original his notes and everything. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, I, I'd really be curious to know, you know, did he have this whole story mapped out or did he just have, you know, key moments and then kind of, you know, threw it together as mm-hmm. he was, as he was writing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you guys think of the art? Because sometimes the art, I was like, oh, yeah, this is really cool. And other times I was like, this looks really weird. Yeah, the eyes mm-hmm. sort of 
don't always look great. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the coloring or if it is just like the actual line art. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. When you're in a close-up, it's fine. But like, if a character's like at a middle distance or more, sometimes there's something about the eyes that really throws me off. It reminded me in some some pages. It reminded me of like a like a like I was looking at stills for really cheap animation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like the storytelling. Like I I've never I'm if I've seen Josh Middleton's work, I'm not aware of it before this. His storytelling was fine, maybe even perfect. You know, I mean, like like as far as you know, uh, the bones of it were great, but yeah, I felt like I didn't really uh, like, I didn't like the thin ink lines. I thought the coloring was a little too pastel in places. Yes. And just in general, yeah, it felt like, like, again, it looked like stills from really cheap animation. Yeah. Josh, Josh Middleton was one of the guys who came out of, uh, the cross gen project ah. in 2000. He, he was one of the guys, he helped to launch Meridian. Uh, at CrossGen, most of what I know him for is uh, NYX, which is the series that introduced X twenty three, and I kind of had the same complaints there that I have here. Uh, yes, the coloring is way, way, way too subtle, especially for a story starring Captain Marvel and Superman. Because yeah. I can tell you, as somebody who has trouble uh, differentiating my oranges and my greens. They call him the big red cheese and not the big umber cheese for a reason. Yeah. So in issue one, when Superman first appears, that's a red cape and that's red boots. And I'm like, yep, that's Superman. But as it went on, it got more and more muted and more pastel. But and, yeah, I, the amount of ink also, like it starts out like with a heavy, some pretty heavy inks. Yeah. And it, the inks get lighter and lighter, uh, you know, um, you know, throughout it as well. It's weird. Yeah, I feel like the the stuff that works, like the final page where we're in, you know, Billy's little uh, hangout or, whatever. or yeah. crash pad, whatever it is, and you see Billy, who looks younger than I expect. I always peg Billy for like 16, but this looks like a 12-year-old. Oh, no, he's like 10. 10 yeah, he's really yeah. young. This is a, a really young Billy and Clark Kent sitting down next to him. That's a beautiful scene. And Billy's face where he's like, can't believe what just happened it's perfect but well i mean he's the, not, whole, the whole thing where he, throughout the whole issue you know you see shazam going or captain marvel going oh my god it's superman oh i can't believe i'm talking to superman i mean that whole kid energy just comes right through yeah. and i can Here's, i ask you guys something sure what do you guys miss or or have any place in your heart for the captain the version of captain marvel that does not behave like a child when he's captain marvel that where is a like separate adult entity yeah or 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 uh, what what i've also seen it written as is that like the wisdom of solomon is that that like covers it so that he doesn't um that basically that's what it means he he has the like ability to reason and make decisions and stuff like a like a an adult yeah. even though he's still a child right they're not two different creatures but he doesn't behave like a child when he's uh captain marvel i do um and you know i i miss the days when captain marvel was a separate like big brother yeah, figure they would like and flip flip spaces and yeah billy would ride on and his billy, back and stuff yeah. billy would say shazam mm-hmm. and cap would come out and cap would be like woohoo billy never rode on his back are you high no there's a no. there's a scene because he had to go to the because they switch places at the rock of eternity and at one point shazam or captain marvel goes to the rocket of eternity and meets billy face to face 
What year uh, was this been? This was like early, like early. Yeah, early, you, early. Guys, you guys are nerds. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I I feel like though in the DC universe, if you are going to bring in Captain Marvel, you can't just use the magic immunity to kind of define the separation between Superman and Captain Marvel rules, because that's like a power thing. And I feel yeah. like if you, if you try and lean on that, you know, it's like in a, in a video game when you're leaning a little too hard on the mechanics and you've forgotten, Oh yeah, I meant this guy to be well, like this. And you're right. And this book does plenty of that. Cause they're like, I don't have super breath and I don't have x-ray vision. Right. You know, like there's there's definitely a like, okay, we're gonna draw the line on this side is Superman and this side's Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um you know, laser eyes over here, cute sister over <laughs> here. <laughs> and this is this is also post Marvels and, and not Marvels, Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. And post Kingdom Come, they have DC specifically seemed to have I don't know if it was an editorial rule or if it was just sort of a rule of thumb that you say Billy Batson is a normal human being who can become, quote unquote, a god. G-A-W-D is how that's spelled, by the way, in case you want to sue me. Uh, Whereas Superman is this godlike alien who then can, you know, become a normal human guy. And I feel like they're definitely playing off that young Captain Marvel in a way that, you know, the Power of Shazam series that had immediately preceded this didn't really but it also works for me specifically within the boundaries of a shared universe where both of these heroes have to have their own kind of shtick where they have to have their own specific role or else it's going to feel like red superman blue superman which is a different story entirely i have another question for you guys all right did this type of Captain Marvel, where Billy is a little kid and he still has a little kid brain, does it predate Prime from Malibu Comics? Yes. Okay. Malibu's Prime would be 1993. The differentiation of Billy as a separate child entity really starts with Roy Thomas's 1987 or 88 Shazam four issue limited series that came out right on the heels of crisis on infinite earths. That's really the point where we separate this is child Billy. And this is adult Billy in captain Marvel's body. Mm -hmm. That would, that would be a heck of a twist if like basically the defining (laughs) correct characteristic of modern captain Marvel came from a Malibu comics knockoff. Yeah. I I mean, I don't, I don't mind the, uh, you know, Billy can have, and he does it here in this issue has the wisdom of Solomon. So he knows all the things that he needs to know. But I also don't mind the the young boy trapped in a man's body kind of sure. stuff. Uh, I think it works well. It it doesn't really bother me. I think it's an interesting take. So you can separate the two characters a little bit more, as Matthew said. Um, I like how Zachary Levi portrays him in the movie. It's very much this way. You can see that here's this middle school kid that's in a grown man's body and how that would, would work. Uh, I also like it in the... Was the other oh uh, um the Titans the JLU. Uh, yeah, yeah the, well no the um, oh 
not the Teen Titans, but the other the other yeah, uh, just Titans. Yeah, Titans series where that becomes a big plot point when they're like, you're just kind of acting really weird. And then they find out he's really as a kid. And it's like, why is this old guy wanting to hang around with teenagers? And it's like, well, because he's he's a teenager. So I like I kind of like that that idea, that concept. I think it, it grounds Captain Marvel just a little it, bit more. I, I think socially it gives him some place to be. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. when like. Uh, when they decided to make the Martian Manhunter a good guy, I think early on they're just like, okay, well, his name's John Jones. He already knows everything he's supposed to know. This is a normal comic book. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when they've rolled that back to give him a little bit of a fish out of water thing, it makes him a lot more compelling. It gives him that, it gives him something to play when you have him standing in a room with like a couple other aliens and like, you know, Guy Gardner's there for some reason. So mm-hmm. it, I think the the kid brain Captain Marvel gives him something to do during the, you know, during like the not fighting scenes. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 So what's uh, what's the bottom line uh, on this? Uh, for me, it is very much go out and buy this book. It's great. It's a fantastic read. I think this will become one of your favorite comics of all time. Uh, so yeah, definitely go go pick it up. It's definitely one of the best Shazam stories that have that have been written. Uh, so yeah, definitely check it out. Uh, Rand, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I certainly recommend First Thunder to really all fans of superhero comics. And uh, you know, at the risk of staying here too many times, the last issue in particular is absolutely essential reading. Mm-hmm. If you even have a mild enjoyment of superhero comics, you need to read the fourth issue of this series. And I think, you know, if you're a fan of superhero comics, you should read the whole thing. Yep. Matthew. Agreed. Uh, this is a rush right out in a buying frenzy because even the weaknesses that I perceive in the story end up kind of supporting a coherent whole and giving it its own identity, not just the characters, but giving this four issue arc, which isn't really necessarily an arc and maybe didn't need to be four issues, but it gives it its particular specific cadence and it gives it a rhythm that works really well. And it builds probably the best in universe relationship between Marvel and Superman that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Rodrigo, you get the final say on Superman Shazam first thunder. Uh, I would say uh, definitely no ahead of time if you pick this up, that there is, I believe, one named black character in this, and he gets fringed. Yeah. Hardcore. Yeah. Um, so be aware of that. Um, but other than that, this is a this is a good um it this book spends a lot of time trying to differentiate Captain Marvel from Superman, and it's basically all of that can be thrown away just for the final handful of interactions between them like the difference between them is that they can have this relationship and that's really cute and i like it a lot yep there you go all right thank you very much rodrigo thank you rand and thank you matthew for being part of the show this week next week on the show it's uh superman up in the sky because uh one of our dear listeners demanded in fact everything except for uh this issue all this month in fact all, all the way back into our last um break when when we took a break from february 14th all of these comics that we've read far sector die supergirl woman of tomorrow uh superman up in the sky next week are all recommendations from our patrons 
and our listeners over on our Discord server. So uh, go go check that out. That's another reason why you want to become a patron and another reason why you want to join our Discord server. And that's where we're going to wrap it up this week. Thank you again so much. You can find more information about everything that we're doing over on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash major spoilers, or on our website, majorspoilers.com. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. Fat the X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a gang sign throwing soldier. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2023 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.